Uh, Stephen, I think we should talk about the elephant in the room. Exactly, Jeff. This little elephant's name is Money. Uh, that's his name? The church is starting a series on giving. So I thought it was time to talk about the elephant. How and why do we give away our money, and what does that have to do with our spiritual growth? Well, I do my giving online. It just takes care of itself. Well, I like to give my offering in person. Um, it just, it feels more official. Yeah, but the, the whole plate thing, it's so awkward. It, every time it comes to me, I just want to jump up and yell, it's okay, I gave online. The plate just reminds me that I uh, forgot to write a check. <laughs> what? You, you still write checks? Well, no, I, I forget. So, so I'm rummaging through my wallet to find what I can to throw in the plate <laughs> so it looks full. Okay, okay. But it's more than just how the money gets from A to B, right? Personally, I wish the Bible gave more detailed instructions on how to give. Charities, churches, Christian organizations, they're all important, right? But how do we know how much money to give and where? I give 10%. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? A, a tithe. Well, to be honest, it's not spiritually satisfying to me. It's not like prayer or worship. Mm -hmm. Well. I consider myself a cheerful giver, but, you know, giving to the church isn't always, you know, it's not like going out and, and buying something and bringing it home or, or one of those organizations, you know, where you can donate a cow. It's not always tangible, and, and that can be hard for people. For me. <laughs> for me. I know what you mean. The church was wanting before I started giving, and it will probably keep wanting even if I stop. My tithing isn't that much, and I don't think I can give any more. See, that is exactly why I don't like these series. It, it, it's, it makes people feel guilty. 10%, 20%, 3%. I don't think it's one size fits all. And how much money I make, how, how I spend it, how I save it, how I give, that's personal. That's between me and God. Not between me, God, and all of you. No offense. You know, money's always on my mind. Um, you know, how are we going to pay for college? Do we have enough for this or, or, or for that? I'm always thinking about it. But talking about it is difficult. Why are conversations about money so loaded? Yeah, it's, it's hard enough at home, let alone in a, in a small group, you know? I think we are afraid of being judged. Money is something we use, not just spend. We're not meant to serve it, or be trapped by guilt, or be left chasing more. Well, we're not meant to serve it, but I wind up there. Uh, I always intend to, to, to give more away. Uh, next year, next month, my next pay raise. But when it comes down to it, I, I'm afraid to let go. I, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on something. I'm not happy with my relationship with money. And I've made some bad decisions, and I'm still paying them off. 
I can see where I went wrong, but sometimes I'm tempted to do it again. I'd actually like to talk more about money. It could make me more accountable and I can understand giving in a better way. So you're saying you'd like to keep the elephant? Oh, maybe we could donate an elephant. Hmm? How, how much money do I have to give to end this discussion? Well, chances are we can all identify with some of the thoughts and feelings surfaced by that imaginary small group. Talking about money in church, maybe, maybe it makes you feel guilty and inadequate. But you're not giving as much as you should, or you're not giving as much as you'd like to. Maybe you're already giving a lot, but it feels more like a duty than a joy. Maybe you look around and you, and you wonder, does a church like this really need my money? And maybe, honestly, you'd like to know how much you have to give just to skip this whole conversation and sermon series. <laughs> That's for all these reasons and many more. Talking about money in church can be really difficult and awkward. And yet I think we'd agree with some of the characters in this drama that we could all use some help in managing our money well. Got a little story on my newsfeed this week that, uh, that the majority of Americans are just one minor crisis away from being wiped out financially. 57% of American households don't have the cash to cover a $500 unexpected expense. Now, that's a nerve-wracking way to live. You're always on edge. You're anxious about every dollar that you spend, and you, you cling tightly to every dollar that you have. What if, I, what if I could offer you a way to be free of those pressures, free from that anxiety, free from that guilt? What if I could offer you a way to find more joy and contentment and freedom with your money than you ever imagined possible? And I'm not talking about winning mega millions or Powerball. I'm talking about giving more of your money away. In fact, I'd like to show you in the next few minutes that the more you give, the more you have. Now, if that sounds paradoxical or maybe heretical, hang with me for a few minutes and hopefully by the end, you'll, it'll make sense. More importantly, hopefully by the end of our time together, we'll all be moving towards a better place in terms of our relationship with money and giving. Now, we find ourselves today in week two of a month-long series of vision and stewardship series that we're calling Next, Therefore Go. We're, we're casting a fresh vision for this next chapter of ministry as a church. And it's a, it's a vision that we believe can, can allow us to see the spiritual landscape of greater Boston changed. To see more seeking people engaged with gospel-centered churches to see more believers living out their faith at school and work and in the neighborhood. More churches, more vibrant churches, more effective churches, more unity among the churches across the city, more beauty and justice and joy. We believe those are possible. But we've also discovered that given this unchurched, post-Christian, far-from-God culture in which we live, it's going to require a radical recommitment to the Great Commission, therefore go. 
and make disciples. It's going to require that we go beyond the walls of the church, that we go beyond Sunday to be about the work of the kingdom. Making and mobilizing more disciples for Jesus Christ. That's how we're phrasing, phrasing it. And so as a church, as Grace Chapel, it means a, a, a shift from, from a come and see approach to doing ministry to a go and do approach to ministry. And for us as individuals, as Christ followers, it means each of us finding our go, our unique contribution to the work of God in this particular time and place in our lives. And I just want you to know, I've been greatly, greatly encouraged by the early responses that we've received to the vision that we've been casting in hallway conversations and email and, and uh, some small group gatherings we've been having over the past couple of weeks. People are saying, I'm ready. I want to go. Can you show me more? Can you teach us how? Will we learn how to do this? There's a great eagerness. And I want you to know as well how encouraged I was by our one church night of worship this past Friday night. This place was rocking on Friday night. It was a remarkable experience. It was a great turnout of people from all of our campuses, people of all ages and styles of worship. And more importantly, there was this great energy and desire to experience more of Christ's presence in our lives and in our city. And, and I'll tell you, as we read some scripture about about going and doing justice and loving mercy and walking with God, I found more confidence than ever that this is exactly the vision God has for us. Now, if you somehow missed last Sunday's message, I encourage you to go back online and pick it up because it's really foundational to what we're going to be about for the next couple of years. So last week, we focused on the vision, of vision side of next. This week, we'd like to focus a little bit on the giving side of next not just because we're going to need funds to achieve the vision, but because we're eager, all of us, to grow as givers, to find freedom from anxiety and pressure and guilt about money and to find some of the joy and freedom we've been talking about already. Now, if you happen to be a guest today, or if you're someone who's suspicious that the church is always talking about money, I would want you to know that this is the first time in quite a long time now, we've had a, a whole sermon or a series focused on the subject of giving. But I'll also have you know that when we do talk about money and giving, we talk about it very honestly and very practically. Because it's an, such an important part of our daily lives and because we know how important it is to the state of our souls as well. And let me also say that I'm just really glad the Patriots won last night because <laughs> you're all in a much better mood for a sermon on money than you might be otherwise. And hopefully you're rested up and didn't stay up too late watching. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for a few minutes, <coughs> verses 6 through 11. Remember this, Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'd like us to notice right up front that Paul is not at all uncomfortable talking about money in church. This is a pastoral letter he's writing to churches across the city of Corinth. And he covers a variety of topics, theology and Christian living. 
but he devotes two chapters to the subject of money and giving. And in part because he's trying to raise funds for the church back in Jerusalem that's struggling and poor and oppressed. But it's also because he knows how important this subject is to the spiritual welfare of these believers and their churches. So he would have been very happy to see that every other Sunday night Newtonville small group struggling with some of the questions that money raises for us. But as I spent a little time with these verses, I found three simple guidelines for our giving. And the first is that giving should be personal. Giving should be personal. Notice he says, each of you should give. Paul expects every single person in these churches across Corinth, every one of them to give. Every believer who's in that church, he expects them to give. And, and understand, there were a lot of lower-income people in these churches. The majority of the churches were probably servants and slaves and working-class people. Forget about having $500 put away for a crisis. They, they lived from day to day to keep a roof over their head and food on their table. So Paul's not talking to the wealthy members of the church. He's not talking to the leaders of the church. He's talking to every single person saying, each of you should give. And again, it's not because he's trying to squeeze every last cent out of the congregation. It's because he wants every one of them to know the joy and the freedom of giving. Notice too, he doesn't want anyone feeling pressured or manipulated into giving. And I hope you never feel that way here at Grace. Now, we, we believe in the importance of giving and we are committed to the work of the kingdom and we are passionate about the needs of the world. And so when we talk about money and giving, we'll do it passionately and we'll do it directly without apology. At the same time, understand that no one is required to give here at Grace. There are no dues. There are no membership fees. No pastor knows what anyone around here gives. It truly is between you and the Lord. When you make an intention, it's between you and the Lord. And we want it to be that way. But it doesn't mean we should never talk about our giving in a small group or at the kitchen table or with a pastor. We talk about every other aspect of the Christian life. We talk about prayer and Bible study and sharing our faith and all those things because we know we learn a lot from each other. We find encouragement and perspective. So we, we need to feel freer to talk about our money as well. Again, at home, in a small group, on a Sunday. And I'm always honored and humbled when someone talks to me about their giving, about the ministry of the church. But in the end, here at Grace, your giving is between you and the Lord. We'll provide you with a statement at the end of the year so you know how much you've given for your record keeping, but... No one's going to come after you, okay, at the end of the year. So giving should be personal. Secondly, giving should be intentional. Intentional. Look again at verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So Paul expects us to think about what we're going to give. Not to do it impulsively or carelessly, but very deliberately. With, with some prayer and reflection and maybe even some conversation. In fact, the particular phrase there means as you have purposed in your heart. He, he, he's describing making up your mind about something. So, so we don't give based on whatever we happen to have in the wallet when we see that plate coming down. 
or how much we have left at the end of the week or the end of the month, but we think about it ahead of time and we intentionally give. Now, it's not hard to understand this. I mean, we, we do this with every other major expense that we have. If you're out to, to, to buy a car or to take a vacation or make some home improvements, you're going to do some research. How can you get the best value for those dollars? You're probably going to have a conversation with people who are a part of that decision or, or people who've done these things before so you can learn from them. You're probably going to sit down with your budget and your bank account and find out how much you have and how are you going to play for this thing over a period of time. So we would never make any kind of major disbursement of money without thinking and talking and planning for it. And so why wouldn't we do the same thing when it comes to our giving, Paul says. So that's one of the reasons we pause every couple of years and have an initiative like this or do some teaching on the subject because it gives us a chance to stop and slow down and actually think about our giving. And I have to confess, as I was working on this particular part of the message, I stopped to think about the last time Karen and I had a serious extended conversation about our giving. And I had to admit, it was about two years ago, the last time we had a teaching series like this. And we've been giving faithfully since then, but we really haven't talked about it again. And I'll also acknowledge that when I brought up to Karen a few months ago, they were having another one of these series. She kind of rolled her eyes like, uh-oh, there's another one of those conversations coming. Now, the truth is, she's usually more generous than I am when it comes to those kinds of conversations. So all this to say, part of why we do this is to create some time and space for us to think about our giving. And that's why we talk about it a little bit, why we explain the vision, why we produce a brochure and take a few weeks because we want you to know what God's put on our hearts and what the needs and opportunities are. So you really can give thoughtfully and intentionally. But notice, we're not just making this decision with our minds. Paul says, you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Now the heart in the Bible is not just your emotions. The heart in the Bible is the control center of human personality. It's the place where our mind and our emotions and our will intersect. It's the executive center of our lives, where all our decisions are made. And so Paul says our giving isn't just a matter of calculating what the need is and how much we can afford. It's also a matter of what moves our hearts, what stirs compassion in us and passion in us. And so when we do teaching series like this, we tell stories and we share the need. We share our enthusiasm about these things because our emotions are a part of that decision. And then thirdly, there's a, the element of the will that's involved of making a decision. Like the character in the drama, he said, uh, I, 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 I plan to give more. I'd like to give more. I intend to give more, but somehow I never quite get around to it. Because until you actually make that decision, and write it on a piece of paper or make your first gift, you haven't really grown as a giver. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity to actually make a decision and present our intentions to the Lord for the next couple of years. So in that spirit of having enough information to make a good decision, can I share with you a few minutes some of the detail behind the broader vision I cast with you last week? Because we look to the next couple of years and this vision of, of going and becoming a more outward-focused church. We want every Grace Chapel campus 
every Grace Chapel ministry, every Grace Chapel life community, every Grace Chapel person to find their go. The unique contribution they can make to this work of God in our region. So this shift from come and see to go and do has to work its way through every, every aspect of our life and ministry together as a church. So it's going to take a little time. We have some learning to do. We have some retooling to do. We have some reprioritizing to do over the next few years in all of our ministries. So understand that a large portion of what you give to Grace over the next two years will go towards supporting those core ministries of our church. Some of them are represented there on the screen. The things you've come to know and love about Grace Chapel, Kids Town, and Student Ministries, and Celebrate Recovery, and Alpha, and, and everything up there, and, and many, many more ministries here that, that have become an important part of our life together and of God's work in our lives and in the community in which we find ourselves. So we want to continue to do these things. These ministries every, are touching thousands of lives every week. People every week are coming to personal faith in Christ as their Savior. We see him baptized here from time to time. People are growing in their faith as disciples and followers of Christ. People are finding freedom from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. People are forming deep friendships with fellow Christians and finding community. People are, are discovering their God's call on their lives. Our families are being strengthened. So we want to see those things continue to happen. We just want to see a little bit more, a lot more of a go and do dimension to all these ministries. So as you give these next two years, your gifts will go to carry on those ministries and help them become even more effective in engaging people and equipping people. In fact, one of our first steps is going to be taking the whole congregation through that discipleship exercise that we call Roots, formerly known as Plug-In, Okay. This is all about making and mobilizing disciples, and that's really what Roots is about. So beginning in February, we're going to spend the next nine weeks together as a whole community across all our campuses, strengthening our relationship with God, our connection to his church, and discovering our God-given purpose in life. It's the best way I can think of to find your go, the best way to start. So that begins in February. So in a similar way, we're going to be working this theme of go and do through every dimension of our ministry. And so we trust that you'll give to and perhaps increase your giving over these next two years towards those ministries. A second portion of your gift, a significant portion of your giving, goes towards our global and regional mission partnerships. And the maps there on the screen represent those ministries scattered across the city and the region and scattered across the world. And you can see there's quite a lot of them and they're pretty well balanced across the, across the map there. We have 60-some partnerships around the city and the world. These are ongoing relationships with people we know and ministries we trust to be doing God's work. And understand, this is a very significant dimension of our go-and-do ministry as a church. These ministries represent children and orphans being cared for. They represent people coming out of addiction or incarceration and, and, and finding support and recovery. They remind us of refugees finding places, homes, either overseas or being settled here in the States. 
This is about providing health care for people who don't have it. It's about providing clean water for entire communities. It's about micro-enterprise so that families and neighborhoods can get on their own two feet. It's about planting churches and translating the Bible and training Christian leaders. Understand, a significant portion of every gift you give to grace goes towards these partnerships. About 20% goes towards it. And understand, that's about double of almost any church our size in the country to give that much outside the doors. It goes right out as soon as you give it. Understand, too, those gifts are well-managed by Pastor Jeanette and her team. They research all these partners. They evaluate them every year. They go visit. We, they come here and they report to us. I was talking with a Grace Chapel member recently, and he was talking about how he's tried over for many, many years to manage his giving to dozens of ministries and missionaries and organizations, and he just kind of loses track of it all. And it suddenly dawned on him that that Grace Chapel can manage those gifts probably much more wisely and effectively than he can. And he said, it's like being part of a mutual fund of ministry. <laughs> you trust it to somebody who knows what they're doing with it. And so now he does almost all his kingdom giving through grace, knowing that it's going to ministries that are proven to be effective with people that we know. So when there's a disaster somewhere in the world and, 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 and you folks give generously right on the spur of the moment, there are already people we know on the ground doing good work in those places, so that gift goes right to work. It's a great, great opportunity. So understand, a significant portion of your regular giving goes towards those mission partnerships. And so we're trusting that all of us will take a look at our giving to the church and, as the Lord leads us, take a step towards increasing that giving and growing as giving towards givers towards those ministries. But there is a third category to this initiative that we think are important for achieving this mission of making and mobilizing disciples. There are a few strategic investments we feel like we need to make over the next few years, and let me tell you about them quickly. The first is to make room for more people, more engagement at the Wilmington campus. Now, as we shared last week, we're seeing great vitality and growth and impact there at that Wilmington campus. The problem is that we've run out of room. The sanctuary is uncomfortably full almost every Sunday. That's discouraging for a newcomer, and it stifles people inviting their friends. They're having a baby boom over there, and there's just babies and kids everywhere, and students. And they've run out of space. If you're a parent, you want to know your child has a safe, comfortable place in which they can learn and grow and be cared for. And so the, the reality is that the, the impact of that campus is being stifled right now because there's no room. And so we believe it's such a vibrant thing happening there. It's such a strategic location right there on Route 93. Uh, uh, they say 170,000 cars pass that sign every single day. There's such possibility there. We, we feel like we want to join God in his work there. And so we are proposing an expansion to that campus to provide some more room there. So it would be a sanctuary that seats about 600 people, some additional classroom space for kids and students, and then some more parking as well. But the vision isn't just to build a bigger church there. It's to build a launching pad from which other campuses can be launched 
from that campus to others around. And so we're praying that the Lord might provide about $3 million through this initiative the next two years to get that thing well-started and well-funded. The second strategic investment will be into the Foxborough campus. Now, as you know, about a year or so ago, we were given the campus of the former Foxborough Bible Church. And on a human level, it was the folks at Foxborough Bible who generously and boldly gave it to us. But in truth, you know who gave it to us. The Lord gave it to us. He gave us the largest gift Grace Chapel's ever gotten, a $3 million gift. God gave it to us. And so we want to be good stewards of that. Now, we've taken our time with it. We've done our research. And we have found there's a great need for a gospel-centered church in that area. We have about 150 Grace Chapel people who live down that way and are ready to go to form the core group of that campus. And there's a group of folks worshiping there right now, week to week, taking our sermon stream. And even that group is growing, and we haven't even started yet. So we believe that 2017 is the year to launch that Foxborough campus. And so we're praying for a million dollars to refurbish that building and have some funding for staff and programming for the next few years. And then thirdly, there are some strategic investments we need to make in each of our four campuses. Look at what God has done over this past handful of years. We're in four different locations, four different communities, all of them with remarkable vitality, all of them with, all of them with unique potential, but also unique needs and opportunities. Some of them need more student and kids space. Some of them need better technology so the broadcast is effective and a variety of other opportunities. So we're praying the Lord would provide a million dollars over the next two years so that we can make strategic investments in all of these campuses so they can be more effective as well. So altogether, that adds up to $5 million over and above our regular giving to see this vision realized. So we're praying that many will feel inspired and able to give a special over and above gift. We're calling it a go gift to this vision. Well, that's a lot more detail in dollars than we typically talk about. And maybe some of you are feeling like a little bit like the woman in the video and the meltdown she had. How can I stop this conversation? So let me get to my third and final guideline for giving. It's actually the best one of all. Giving should be personal, giving should be intentional, and thirdly, giving should be joyful. Joyful. Look again. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the actual word in the Greek language that's used here is the word from which we get the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Now, since I don't often hear people laugh out loud when we announce the offering, <laughs> I'm guessing it's not the association we usually have with giving. And yet, when you talk to people who give thoughtfully and generously, you know what you discover? They're the happiest people you know. I've observed this for decades now. The happiest people I know are people who give generously of their time and their talent and their love and their treasure. But, but how can this be, we ask? I mean, we, we've already talked about how hard it is to talk about money, let alone to actually give it away. And certainly, the logical thing seems like the more you give away, the less you have for stuff you need and stuff you want. 
Like the character in the drama, we feel like we're going to miss out on something that we might want to buy or do or have if we give all that money away. But here's the amazing thing about giving, the paradoxical, counterintuitive, nonsensical thing about giving. The more you give, the more you have. Now, if you think I'm making that up, listen again to what Paul says. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When we give personally and generously, God, God promises not just that we'll have enough to get by in this life, but we'll have enough to abound in this life. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about health and wealth gospel here. I'm not talking about some spiritual get-rich-quick scheme where we give to God and he gives more back to us. It doesn't work that way. I know some people teach that, some people think that. The Bible doesn't teach it and I'm not teaching it. Simply saying there's a principle here that, that the more we give, the more we receive of what really matters in life. More joy, more contentment, more connection, more satisfaction. A couple more verses and you'll see what I mean. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this. You will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, when God promises to make us rich in every way, he's not promising material riches. They may very well come, but that's not what he's promising. What he's promising is to make us rich in the things that really matter. Love, faith, hope, joy, peace, meaning, impact. These are the things that our hearts long for. These are the things the world is longing for. And friends, I can tell you from experience, I have found this to be true. As I wrote those words, the more we give, the more we have, I, I got to thinking about our own lives as givers. Now, Karen and I have been tithing for our entire married lives. So that's 37 years now. And there were times we didn't have a lot, but when you give 10% consistently, it begins to add up. And when we come to moments like this in our lives, a, a capital opportunity or a, a, a generosity initiative, we often have given more than the 10%. When you do that for 30-some years over two incomes, it, it begins to add up to a lot of money. In fact, I started adding up about how much we've given over the past 37 years, and I had to stop because I really didn't want to know. <laughs> Honestly, how much just went out the window? And the truth is, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, we, we could have done a lot with that. We, if we'd kept that money, we'd probably be living in a bigger house right now. We, we might be driving newer cars. We might have nicer furniture. We probably have fewer student loans that we and our kids are still paying off. But you know what? Cars and houses and furniture, it's just stuff. It doesn't last. It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't change the world. So you know what we have instead of furniture and cars? We have joy. The joy of knowing We've been able to contribute to two great churches, one in New York and one in Boston, that are ministering to thousands of people every week and will for years and decades to come. What joy there is in that. You know what else we have? We have relationships. We have deep relationships with people all over the country and all over the world 
partners, people we've partnered with and ministered to and with in the cause of the kingdom, deep relationships. We have, we have freedom. Freedom not to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians or anybody else out there. We don't have to have the newest, latest, biggest, best thing because it's just, we just know that's not where happiness comes from. And, and we have peace. The peace of knowing that no matter what, God will give us all that we need for all that he asks us to do. And the honest truth is, we have enjoyed far more materially than we ever could have asked for or imagined. So everyone's experience is not the same and God is not promising anything in particular, but he is promising that the more we give, the more we have of what really matters in life. But I don't want you just to take a preacher's word for it. I want you to hear from a real person. Okay, so as we finish up, I've asked uh, Judy from our Watertown campus to come and share with us. Could you welcome Judy for a moment? <laughs> Judy, just take a moment, kind of introduce yourself and your family to everybody. Sure, so um, we're from Newton. We attend Watertown campus. Um, my husband, Erwin, and I have two daughters, age six and four. Okay, good to have you. There was something else you want us to know about yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is kind of hard to admit, but I think I'm typically known among friends and maybe more than that um, as, a, as a frugal person, otherwise known as cheap. <laughs> okay, we have talked about the fact that giving is a journey and that sometimes it begins small. And that's kind of the story you shared with me somewhere along the way. Yeah, so I began giving in college kind of one-time donations to missionaries or families that I might meet. Um, in grad school, I think I made more of a commitment to be more regular, but um, as you know, grad school doesn't pay very well, and I think it hurt the bottom line sometimes, and I have to admit that it was often a struggle to be um, consistent and obedient, and many times it was just far too easy to think of tithing as a discretionary expense. Okay. Um, I think over time, um, I've grown a little bit, and, and my giving journey is going to be different from your giving journey. Um, I'll just tell you one story. When I was in grad school, one time I was out with friends, and um, we were approached by two people after drinking a lot, after they were drinking a lot, and... Um, they, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> it's a journey. Right, it's a journey. Um, <laughs> And um, they came up with some sob story, you know, they drank too much, they needed to get home, and do we have any cash? And I think at the time I was learning to be more generous and to kind of um, address those with needs. And I gave them a little bit of cash. And later on, my friend was like, you know, they didn't spend it to get home. They probably drank more with it. And it, it felt terrible to kind of give money, especially because it felt like, at the time, part of something God was calling me to do and that I had done it kind of foolishly and maybe was tricked. And I felt bad about it for a long time, partly because my friend kept reminding me about it and making me feel bad. And um, I had time to process it. At the end of it, um, God kind of said to me, you know, I love you anyway and you're, you're, you're very cheap. So you're constantly thinking that you're in need and you can't afford this and you can't afford that. And God just sort of said to me, I can afford everything and I can replenish what you give. And I think that was really liberating for me because it made me realize that I can give things that I have a, a whim to give to without worrying about whether it was a wise investment or value-based or whatever. And um, I think I felt 
more, more free to give to things that were hard to assign value to. So mercy giving. Um, and a lot of like what you, when we give to church, you're, you're kind of wondering like, what is it, what is the, the dollar value? Is it worth the investment that I make? And it's, it's been a journey for me to not think of it as an investment with a return, but rather something that was more from the heart and part of my giving journey and, and God teaching me to let go of material things. Okay. And now you are no longer a, a poor grad student. You are <laughs> a, you know, a, a mom and a working person and you have a home. And what have you learned in recent years about giving? Um, I think one thing I've learned is that um, I feel like the material things that, that we think of as, as mine are not mine. They didn't come from something I achieved or something I earned. And um, I think I'm not alone living in Boston that I'm a very achievement-oriented person, so it's tempting to think that I did this or I earned that. And I think accepting that opportunities given to me or you know bonuses at work given to me don't come from um, something that I earned, but rather just... God giving generously to me. And so it's, you know, it's made me realize that those things come and go, and I think God gives me freedom to give to things that um, are beyond my necessity and what I have to provide for, for my family. Um, I think another learning is that um, the things that, I, that, that the church gives to, all these missions um, and charities, are now becoming things that I care about and things that I want to give to. And so they're, not, they're no longer different. My necessities and the things I want to spend money on are not necessarily different from what the church wants to spend on. Okay. Thank you, Judy, for sharing. Can we thank Judy for sharing a little bit of her story with us? hard enough to talk about giving with a small group, let alone a few thousand people. So thank you, Judy, for sharing your story with us. I hope you're understanding that as important as it is kingdom-wise to discover the funding to fulfill this vision, what's far more important to us and to me personally is that each of us, each of you, might begin to find more joy in your giving, the freedom from financial pressure and anxiety the sense of being part of something larger and good in the world, and the sense that you can trust God for all that you need and more. What a wonderful place to get to. Will you begin praying right now about what God might be asking you to do, what your next step of giving might be on your generosity journey, and what his unique call on your life might be for this particular season of your life? Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord, for speaking with such wisdom and specificity and practicality to such an important and challenging dimension of our lives. Lord, we, we pause to thank you for the abundance that so many of us in this room enjoy, far more than the vast majority of the world. We really are rich materially in comparison to the rest of the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for that and ask that you help us to be wise, faithful, and generous stewards of it, that we would know joy and life and peace through our use of and sharing and giving away of money. We invite you to do a good work in our hearts and in our congregation in this month so that we might do even greater things in the year and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.